You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everybody, it is uh it's my turn again. I'm back. Ooh. I'm back in the driver's seat for, for an episode. It's been I think like almost a year or more since I've done this, but uh welcome to our uh post season two uh discussion episode uh that we are hosting after the finale of season two. Obviously, uh, I just want to do a quick introduction to how we're going to do things before we actually get started. I need to pull up the images that I sent on my phone a little bit ago because I can't get off of Discord. I wrote it in Discord. So, um, so after we did our last Q&A episode, we kind of uh, did a little survey to see how you guys liked our Q&A episodes. And we decided a better way to do things would be to kind of have the first half of the episode be like a discussion thing with some predetermined topics to go over and then the second half be um questions that you guys asked us and i'm sure like a couple of the questions that we're gonna ha- like we're, we're probably gonna answer some of the questions during our discussion just naturally because we're gonna be discussing story and stuff um but yeah so we're gonna start off with um discussion and then questions and before we do any of that we are going to have the world premiere of the <laughs> season three Guild Fellows trailer. Let's so go. Hang on to your seats because you're about to be blown the fuck away. Um, but yeah, so here's the trailer. Enjoy. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The 
Coruscant has been considered the seat of power in the galaxy off and on again for thousands of years. The Jedi do not always do what is best for everyone. Never borrow 20,000 bucks from a guy named Brick. I appreciate the offer, but I'd like to do this alone. The planet has been experiencing tremors, strange lightning storms, and the Jedi sense a disturbance in the Force. Three unlikely heroes may make the difference between prosperity and total ruin. Sir, you have to get the fuck out of my radio system. That is horrible. That's a shit ton of money. On a two, you feel the whole world shake. I could feel it. It felt terrible. This is Starfellows. my shit. Yeah. I loved all of the brass I loved and the all the instrumentals and the words we said. Um, Star Wars! Yay! Star Wars! <laughs> Lightsabers, Woo! droids. We truly have been sitting on this shit since I think all of 2021 to be completely yep. real with you. Yeah. Yep. We had, this has been so long in the making. Uh, Rob is going to be GMing this season. DMing. We're back to DMing. So Rob, do you want to give just like a little, just a little, don't give too much away because we want people to listen to the episode, but do you want to just give a little tidbit to get people to listen to season three? Um, yeah, so I, we were inspired to do Star Wars um, in part because we wanted to do D&D, but it, it kind of in keeping um, in true to the theme of like our seasons being different kind of games conceptually from one another, um, instead of going back to like the normal D&D setting, we decided like Star Wars would be a much more like fun and uh, creative setting for us to play around in a little while. And also Disney's shite at telling Star Wars stories, and I think that we could do it better just by making it up as we go. So um <laughs> I think that it would be really fun to make that content. So that's what we are going to do. Um, and it's going to be amazing. And we've recorded the first episode, obviously, and it's quite good. And I'm very excited. So uh, please, please listen to it. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Anyone else have anything to, to add? Just, uh, I uh, finally get to play. Go ahead. I finally only have one voice to worry about. I am so pumped. <laughs> Yeah, welcome back to, to Brennan as a player. Um, very excited to be your DM in particular. Um, there, I feel like there's just like a lot of unresolved DM player tension that we need to get through. We really ended our last playthrough. Um, some just some like interesting dynamics back and forth. I don't want to. I don't know how spoilery we can be, um, but don't it's not be necessarily this part. We can be spoilery now or no? No, don't be spoilery. No, no, this don't. Part. Not yet. Um, I've just, you've just, uh, you've just hit me with a lot of cosmic forces, we'll say over and over again. And I feel like as a DM now in a Star Wars universe, it's going to be entertaining to, to throw some, some back at you. Um, yeah. All right. I'm just, or go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just wanted to say that I have moved the slut to a different actual play. So it's going to be interesting character wise for me. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. We're very a real excited. gentleman we won't say that Mills is playing this season. So far. <laughs> uh, we're we won't say anything about characters. We do a very in depth, not super in depth, but like our our whole first episode is kind of like a character exploration, sort of slice of lifey, just a little bit. It's a two hour long episode, so you'll see. Yeah. Um, it'll be a lot. Um, but yeah, we're super excited. That will be out probably two weeks, one or two weeks after this episode comes out. Um. So yeah, let's just 
jump into, oh, hold on, one last thing. Huge, huge, huge shout out to Will Sabineau <laughs> for writing that fucking theme song for us. Holy shit, how did I forget? We commissioned Will, the, the person who we use all of his music for, uh, for everything that we do. We reached out to him. He wrote us a kick-ass theme song. Um, the, the, one, the version that you heard in the trailer is not quite what you're going to hear um, in, the, in the actual episodes for the intro and the outro. But oh my god, it's amazing. So good. Truly past, so good. For the past two seasons, I've been writing the theme songs. Just me dinking away on GarageBand. And I was like, I can't fucking do Star Wars. So we, we enlisted the help of Will. And he crushed it. So yeah. uh, shout out. Huge shout out to Will Savino for that. Truly, uh, truly a personal hero of all of us. Um, yes, absolutely. Guild Fellows would not sound half <laughs> as nice true. as it does um, without his amazing uh, compositional skills. So yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, Will, I've, a, I've never met you, Patreon but I'm glad you exist. Yeah, um, he has um, a Patreon. Um, he was mu- Patreon.com/slash/musicd20, which was like his music writing thing. But he has a new one um, called Borrowbound. It will be linked in this episode. So go check him out. Um, I've been a patron to him for probably over a year now, so go give him money because he deserves it. Um, okay, so let's, uh, get discussion started. Um, so the first thing that we would like to go over, um, I was talking with a few of my friends, um, a few months ago as we were like probably three-fourths of the way into season two, and they told me that they were a bit confused on how everything was working in in uh, season two with 7C and everything like that. So we're going to just go over with non-spoilery details um, how the game works <laughs> because I think we need to clear some stuff up yeah. for people. So Brennan, do you want to just kind of give an overall like mechanic? I don't know, like <laughs> just run down <laughs> yeah. of how the game works, I guess. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, all right. So, uh, the thing about 7C is they, I think the, the biggest thing that can get confusing is the way you succeed or fail uh, in the way you do things. So, instead of the total number, you, and it's, if it sounds a little bit unnecessarily complicated, that's probably because it is. Um, but, yeah, a little bit of advice, try to avoid jamming a campaign of a game you've never played. <laughs> I read the rule book and that's where I had to go off of. Not smart on my part, but live and learn. Um, so basically it's a uh, an earn and bank system, as you could call it. So you can get something called a raise, which you can spend on things. The way you get a raise is you ask to do something, uh, which begins uh, usually what's called a risk. So to, again, you like in D&D, as many of you probably have played, you roll to be able to do it. Um, the more determined the number of dice you get to roll, you have uh, a skill level in certain skills, and then you also have certain traits. The traits are similar to the D&D things, where you got your intelligence, strength, dexterity, etc. And in 7C, you have uh, stage fright, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> you basically have a stat block that's equivalent to the D and D skills. Like you have, like you know, you yeah, have like, resolve, finesse, panache, wits, and brawn, 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 right? Brawn. Anyway, so you have those, and then you also have skills, which are 
uh, also kind of functions similarly to D&D. We have your stat block and you got your skills. And uh, you have a rank 1 to 5 in each skill. Or I guess 0 to 5 in each skill. And then a rank 0 to 5 or 1 to 5 in each, uh, in each trait in your stat block. So the amount, what you do when you say you want to do something. So let's say I want to punch uh, Giuseppe in the face. So, and I, <laughs> actually, that's, not a, that's not a good example because that technically would be combat, which is different. Um, let's say I want to um, climb up the rigging of a ship while it's sinking. Um, I could say as a D- GM, that would be brawn plus athletics. Um, and then you'd have, if you got a two in brawn and a three in athletic, you put together, you got a total of five. So you take that five and that translates to five D10s. You roll five d10s and you put them in groups of ten. And if you have to rewind that, fair. So each group of ten is called a raise. So when you do something, it's called a risk. I give you the uh, the consequences if you should fail, and I give you the rewards the better you do. You can take a pool of raises you just earned and spend however many you want. So if you got three sets of ten with five dice, which is highly improbable, but you know, let's say you did, and you can succeed basically by spending two. You get a bonus if you spend three, but you don't think it's worth it. You can spend two and then bank the third one for later, and then you just have a pool. So you have a pool of raises that build up over time um, if you are okay with not succeeding in your fullest capacity. So um, that's, that's that's basically the way it works. And in a combat round or like a role, sometimes if it's like really specific uh, it's not role play, like it's a really action sequence. Even if it's not combat, but an action sequence, then everybody rolls at once, and then you go in order of who gets the most raises on their first turn. Um, yeah, and that's that's the that's the basic of it. The cool, I mean, the the dice thing is interesting. I'm I'm sure one of us here could probably, if you wanted, talk about the the math differences between rolling d10s and grouping the tens together. Um, okay, we got one there. Um, but what yeah. is cool is that you do get to bank uh, raises. So it's a good solution to whenever you roll an at 20 on a perception check opening up a door because you can, like, it's the equivalent of, like, being able to bank 10 of those <laughs> points and putting them someplace else. So um, that that's one thing that I really like the bank for later uh, thing. So you can just keep stacking them up. How you get them is a bit hard. <laughs> um the other major thing when it comes to rolling D10s is something that uh, I kind of guffed. <laughs> uh, I read uh, I read the book, and uh, I remembered most things, and then I forgot about something, which is there's a bonus to each raise with each um, skill that you have to where if you have, like, at least rank three, you can put two together. And if it's a – if it's two together and it's a 15 or a – a group of five can count as a raise, and then there's another bonus for four. If you have rank five, you have what's called an exploding ten, which is if you roll a ten, you get to roll it again. Um, which, at some point, I guess I just thought that's what it happened. And, like, halfway through the campaign, I was like, oh, you can only do that in rank five skills. I don't think any of us have any of those. Um, but we did decide to, to keep it, partially for consistency, and also because, you know, if you take... if the Enemies also get that. You take away the skills of the other two, but you keep the exploding tens. It's really a way to make it also more exciting because you can hear us like flip out when 
we want to punch someone and we get it roll a 10 and we just go nuts. So it allows us to get an equivalent of that like high of D&D. So not justifying my mistakes. Like I will say, shouldn't have done that. But it's like also but like I don't like I don't it. even know it was a mistake because like I don't think any of us really got to level <laughs> five skills. We didn't level up that much because the leveling up rules are also pretty weird. Yeah, in particular. we only leveled up once, I think, in the whole campaign. Yeah. And that was still by cheating. <laughs> like you're yeah. technically supposed to level up after each adventure, which yeah, is really there are dumb. some jank, jank well, things about. And so about this. I think seven C is like probably more modeled towards like more short concise adventures like anthology adventures if that makes sense because like i think yeah because we can get into like what like the, the actual wording of it but it's basically like a five-step adventure you have to complete in order to level up more or less or just like some weird definition of like so how the story is you can so basically each step adventure you can get more and more rewards is put it so <laughs> if you want to complete like a step one step adventure i guess so i, I guess you could kind of call it like like, I don't know, like, if you get a D&D module and there's five chapters or something, at the you don't level up every time you kill a thing or something, or it's after the end of each story point. Um, but, like... We kind of split it between, like, item items, which were really good, and then, like, right. at the actual level up. So, like, because, like, the items were just as effective as a full level up, and sometimes more. Like, the right. bear bow was completely... Just bust. Yeah. beyond all belief. I I should have yeah. done the math on some of those. <laughs> no, it was amazing. I couldn't miss. It, I just that was annihilated. Stupid. Um, but like, I guess like the reason that though that that was so good is because I could roll so many more dice. Because like to be honest, it's really hard to do anything in skills that you don't have at least one or two levels in like there's so many things that like it felt like i just like would never be able to accomplish because i'd be rolling like one dice and it's like okay unless i roll a 10 i just like i'm not going to be able to like do anything and so like to have a skill set where you can roll a ton of dice in makes a huge difference so in that way it's like way more like hot and cold than dnd because like on you know if you if you don't have anything in a skill at worst you're taking like a minus one to what you roll on a d20 but if you have zero in a skill in 7c you're just like sol but then there's also the the backups of people being able to help you on things with the hero points and yeah because um, hero points when you gift them give three yeah. dice which yeah. is something and i've think, always had a problem with but amelia first <laughs> oh i was gonna say which i think is uh one of the places where 7c and dnd diverge and tell different ty- types of story because in D and D, like you can get stabbed eight times and walk it off if it didn't hit your HP max. Um, you are a lot more mortal in Seventh C. Uh, it's a lot more realistic what you have skills in. You are not good at everything because you don't have time to be good at everything. Whereas yeah. in D and D, if you roll high on your stats, you can basically be like decent at any single thing you try, depending on how well you roll. Seventh C is like if you don't know how to ride a horse, you don't know how to ride a fucking horse. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it made it makes some for like some pretty interesting problems um which it's, it's why, and interesting it's why, solutions like, too yeah it's why q is so powerful too because it, there's so many scenarios in which being good at talking was so <laughs> helpful mm-hmm. um yeah we really definitely had we each had our strengths and things q was able to get us out of literally any talking scenario i think uh i mean Sinead had all the sailing so i always did well on the on the sailing rolls which is literally getting us from point a to point b and then both both Sinead and Arthur were good at like combat stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, it's like, it is a bit more realistic, I think. We maybe can move we on. Should, maybe we should get to spoilers, then. Maybe we should get to the actual... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're kind of... We kind of naturally just went into spoiler territory <laughs> there. So I, I am going to tell people um, when this episode comes out that if you have not finished season two, you can listen up to a certain point. And this is that point. So if you have not finished season two um, all the way to the end, I highly recommend finishing that before listening to the rest of this because we are all very proud of the, the final episode that we put out. Um, I think it was a really great bookend. I think it was just really well made and the story ended up really great. So um, definitely don't don't ignore my warning. Go listen to it and uh, come back here whenever you are done. Um, so now the, the next thing we had on, on my agenda was like character stuff, which we kind of just naturally went into. Uh, character arcs and um, what was the other word I put? Character arcs and like development and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we each definitely had our own strengths and our strengths definitely changed over time, which was, which was very cool just through like role play and stuff, which is, um, I think very cool. I was going to say, I was expecting the magic to come up more often, but it came up at very specific points, like the, the port stuff. I often forgot that Q was magic because it, (laughs) it didn't, it didn't really come up that much. Yeah. Yeah. The your Q's magic in particular was is such a monkey's paw because it like literally hurts you to do, and there's pretty hard limitations on who you can take with you. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. your magic is just like I simply won't take damage. <laughs> Thank I you. I simply uh, will not be struck by lightning. I Thank yeah. You. I am <laughs> right <laughs> now. So I am in a Chicago visiting a friend, and we were at, we we're talking about um we we're talking about like tabletop RPGs. And this entire restaurant in Chicago, was a Medici pizza place, could hear me screaming about Rob. Like, I kid you not, like, we were having this normal level-headed conversation. And I'm like, yeah, so then you usually get this one trait that's really cool, or this one thing, and then when you level up, you get another one. Well, Rob thought it'd be funny to, to, to get a giant, like, just a giant middle finger to the DM. So, yeah, there's that okay. point... There's two yeah. points. You avoided 15 damage or close to it. It was Regina and... There was three times. There was Regina, there was Arabal, and then there was Regina again. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's another thing to kind of bring back to, to mechanic stuff. There are some abilities that are pretty fucking broken in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there are these things called Virtue and Hubris. Which we heard a lot from Q, but also I had I had one. Sinead had one that was very broken that I only ever used once in the whole thing. I think it was during the um, the Usurin uh, assassin thing, um, and it was basically I can ask the GM any yes or no question about an NPC, and they have to tell me whether like they have to give me a truthful answer. And Which I is think simply so unfair from like a so story. It's so broken. Like I could have asked anything right. about anyone and known the answer without any sort of like role right. play, you know. Which is or, like or hey. actual like skill. Like like some of this stuff. Like a lot of it is more realistic, but also some of it is very broken. <laughs> hey hey, Brennan, is Loriana a witch who's going to betray us and try and raise a son to I kill Giuseppe? Yes. I could have, and I did. Could have done that. Could have done yeah, that. And that's really well, you didn't need to because we totally knew. Yeah, I mean, we knew. 
Um, also, I want to uh, clarify Arthur's Arthur's ability truly was not that broken in the grand scheme of things. You were just horrendously bad at like getting the biggest magical wind up attack ever. Forget <laughs> that I could like I because it's, it's only I can only do it once per session. The hard right. counter to it is just another magic attack. <laughs> just doing it again. <laughs> it's like literally I mean, just doing it again. And uh, the other ability I had was it. It allowed me to heal seven minor wounds, which is so dumb because it doesn't t- – in the text of that power, does not take away major wounds. So there's, it's just completely irrelevant because it doesn't affect how close you are to death, Just, but which is also dumb. But basically like you you just narratively like would get mad at Arthur and want to hit him with lightning bolts. <laughs> and uh, I so- would bait it every time. <laughs> And then you'd hit me, and it wouldn't do anything, and I would feel so fucking cool. So it was the best. So it was a it was a mix of three different things. One, me being a very level headed, let's talk this out person in real life, but me as a DM being like, "How dare you question my deity?" Right? And you really embrace um, the irrational god. And I, I do, and that's how I yeah. that's how I GM. Uh, and Rob being really really good at bringing it out. Um, the second thing. <laughs> It was that combined was the fact that the way um, – what am I thinking? The the way 7C works because you can bank things, I would just like pile raises. I would just like – so each raise can be a minor wound. You get five minor wounds. You get a dramatic wound or a major wound, right? Mm-hmm. So I would – if I got ten raises on Regina, I would just use nine or like eight and then do eight or nine raises and then just bank the raise. So over the course of the battle, you know, and plus I'll have some saved up. I also get danger points, which you can go in later. Only point if you're DMing. But I, this, it kind of – because you can say, build up over time, it kind of – 7C kind of lends yourself to like one really big – you know, just, just smack them. Um and then the third thing is me as a GM. I'm just really bad at remembering what my characters can and can't do. There's multiple times <laughs> in the campaign where I scream, "What?" You know. Um, and so I forget I, every single time. That was my real reaction. I really did forget that <laughs> Rob can <laughs> just not take the damage. So all of that was really naturally. That was all naturally occurring. It was really funny. Yeah, and it happened in the, in the last episode, too, where Arthur, just in the eye of the hurricane, was reloading his pistol and just got hit by something, and he was just, like, stone cold, like, no, we're good. But yeah, cool. Q, I, Q's magic was, was weird. I don't, I, like, feel like we could have planet hopped a lot, like, across Thea, but, like, yeah. why, if we couldn't take all of us, though, is kind of the hard part, or at least it's, like, difficult to, like, bring all of us. I got shit to do. I'll come yeah. back for you. <laughs> just put a mark we did on that once <laughs> we did. there were so many times though where it crossed my mind i was like i could just go back to the island i could just go back to the island right now and <laughs> fuck over whatever Brennan wanted to do this episode and then i didn't so <laughs> thank you and then Sinead, so just really quick just uh everybody's hubris and virtue um what were your hubrises again just for the audience starting with amelia uh, my my hubris was star-crossed. I get a hero point every time I fall in love with someone I definitely shouldn't. So, before we move on, <laughs> so, so that, who was that? So it was Arval, right? Mm-hmm. And then we got there were Faydeth. There were a ton. There were a ton of just, like, <laughs> like random NPCs that this happened with, too. They Anytime happened that with Q, 
like got a crush on anybody. So many or authority anytime figures. Anytime anyone bent flirted with Q, just for a little bit, and Q flirted back, and um, a little crush happened there. That and, counted. Yeah. Towards that. Well, I mean, you guys were also wanted enemies of just every about every state because you're anti. You know, most of the people, the guards in the establishment that was taking over. So just almost everybody who wasn't a member of your crew would have been someone you shouldn't. And I think all gods of the universe were inherently shouldn't. <laughs> so, I agree to disagree. Would, yeah. <laughs> Except thank so, you for the hero point. So I guess I'll agree. <laughs> uh, him? Um, so Sinead's, I don't think I ever used it. Um, Sinead's is you receive a hero point when your hero refuses an offer of aid. For example, if a hero tries to spend a hero point to give you bonus dice and you turn them down. I think if I ever used that, it was once towards the beginning, but I don't think I ever, I ever used it. I mean, three bonus die. I mean, if you, a lot of times you only have three dice to roll, if not four, right? Especially before you guys leveled up in certain things. So doubling the amount of dice. I mean, that's what. (laughs) I, I feel like the best use for that would be if you also had camaraderie and you just use it as a way to trade around hero points. Yeah, right. basically. Because then, like, yeah, because then if you had camaraderie, then someone could give you a hero point, and that would translate into an extra raise for them, basically. <laughs> it's just hero point printing machine go burr. It's not a stable economy. All right, <laughs> uh, Rob. Let's talk about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Dilf points really are the NFTs of like this campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Dilf points are not in the rule book. Just everyone knows. Oh, really? Not Neither are Giuseppe points or Enrique points or Giuseppe raises or whatever the fuck you are. You whatever the fuck else you That's true. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, what was your hubris, Arthur? Um, so my hubris was curious. You receive a hero point when you investigate something unusual, especially if it looks dangerous, which I did use a decent amount of times. I think I used it like two or three times. Um, when I poked my nose into some bullshit. Um, and then it works pretty well because I also have the virtue subtle, which activate your virtue when you act behind the scenes from the shadows or through a proxy. For the next risk, when you determine raises, every die counts as a raise, which is a very strong bonus. And so it just incentivizes being like underhanded and shady, um, which is kind of ironic because he's supposed to be honorable and shit. But it was really useful for like talking to people and like being subtle and like trying to gather support for stuff um and it's always better to do things by uh via proxy because uh it's not your head that's gonna roll so uh, yeah also we have quirks as well which are their own set of like character yeah. specific would you say i turn the tide of violence with <laughs> Garvin flair there are yeah. a lot of yeah just kind of random like ability sort of deals you get essentially your, you feats. Get your, they're kind of like yeah. feats yeah yeah you yeah. um you get your your quirks based on what backgrounds you take um so like Sinead's backgrounds you pick two backgrounds uh hers were pirate and duelist which i think she lived up to both of those um and so since my uh for my pirate background I got a hero point whenever I made a personal sacrifice to ensure the freedom of another which i think i only that only happened once or twice um, and then for my duelist, I, uh, earn a hero point when you resort to the edge of your blade to defend a noble ideal. Um. That happened pretty frequently. I yeah, mean, that happened <laughs> more, more than the first one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had one quirk that I don't think I ever used. Um, or I guess maybe it was an advantage that came with my background. Anyways, it was a friend at court. Um, if I'm ever attending a high society function, ball, or similar like important event, I can spend a hero point to reveal that I have a friend in attendance. Mm. Never became mm. useful. We well, never went you know, to any fancy parties. They True. were... You know, honestly, I wish I had thought of that to make sure it was more useful. Like the campaign was about the fancy parties like ending <laughs> because of like revolutions, <laughs> yeah. and now I I was like, oh, yeah. In a similar, those wealth points came in handy though. <laughs> in a similar sure vein, um, Arthur had a quirk that he could earn a hero point when he upheld an ideal of knightly virtue in a way that got him into trouble, which like. You know, when you think back on it, it's like, okay, there's plenty of times where there was, like, people in distress, but the problem is, is that the guild fellows, the guild mateys, the three crows, were always the ones causing the fucking trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was, there's, like, there was no, like, oh, Arthur needs to, like, prioritize intervening in this knightly, virtuous thing that he has to go do. It's always, like, okay, so we're, like, sneaking into the port. At the dead of night, we're gonna yeah. slit the guards' throats, get in the army, and we're gonna raid the store. Like Arthur being like a complete like fucking villain. Like honestly, like it, it's we th- like this is weird because it felt so heroic at the time. We were kind of monsters. We kind of just like turned the tides of like geopolitics in the in the nation just by being dead and dope. Yeah, like, I mean, I like know. the thing with that is that we really didn't have a choice though, because we were literally fucking dying the whole yeah. the whole thing. That's why we hated our ball so much because right. like, she did this to like we had to do what she told us to do, otherwise we were just gonna fucking Thanos snap out of existence. So. Which would have really sucked. I'm glad you guys did that. Like, you guys were efficient in getting things done. Yeah. Like, it would have been really bad if I had either had to hand wave that or, like, let it happen. And you guys all roll new characters because you guys ceased to exist. Yeah, that's something that I would like to bring up um, if we want to segue a little bit into, like, ending slash epilogue discussion. No one died! No, no one died! That's died. crazy. Yeah. I we tried to kill once. Arthur. Nobody dies. Three times. You did yes. not try that hard to kill Arthur. <laughs> Arthur, I really tried to make it easy for you. I gave up my gun. I I was really trying to have. In a the final battle, I was trying to kill Enrique first. Yeah, um, I was legitimately like we recorded uh, fifty six and fifty seven separately, and I had to worry about however like for that <laughs> amount of time, however long we took in between. I was like, sh- both Sinead and Enrique are, are going to die, or even worse, one of them is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> which is going to be so sad. But we, like, even through the whole campaign, we were prepared for for people uh, to die. Like, the whole, like, we were kind of theorizing since the beginning, like, okay, we're probably not mm-hmm. all going to last through this, so who's it going to be, uh-huh. you know, sort of thing. So, the, right. the the funny thing was that at no point in the final battle was I actively worried about Q dying <laughs> after like the very <laughs> Q beginning. Q just hid the whole time. I hid. Yeah. Well, because it's like, oh, I have this gun that does a lot of damage, so I will simply hide, carry over my raises, and load this gun. And then, Which like, is completely legal, by the way. Like, what? Yeah. Like, it's so um, dumb. Like, you can do when that. You have, if like, you only- when you have, like, four other main characters doing all the dangerous stuff not yeah. everyone has to be well, in the middle of the battlefield <laughs> and then i was like yeah listen also giuseppo did know- die we did have one death giuseppo did die uh, uh, Chenzo also died 
yeah. I, I meant I meant I mostly in the, in the final battle. No one died in the final right. battle. Yeah. Um, right. um, yeah. But like Q gave what they were supposed to give every time they talked us out of shit. They got <laughs> yeah. you out of jail. They did yeah. other shit. The final battle, I was like, they're going to sit here and not take damage. And then when you guys were really injured and Q wasn't, I was like, I, if, if this all goes south, I'll simply teleport out of here <laughs> because I can spend I can spend a dramatic wound. That would have been a crazy ending. That would have like, been a crazy Q ending. She just like sees like the tides turning the battle just like, this ain't it. Hugo I gotta lives go. with Arbol and watches the world die from the island. That would be wild. <laughs> that would have been like radical. Song. Yeah, um, when the world falls to the ground. Oh, girl, it's yes. you. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. the Evangelion song, but yes, that one too. Wait, the when the world falls in the ground, is that the TikTok one? Because that's yeah, the one I was yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's okay, the, cool. Yeah, I got you. The like got Donald you. Trump, uh, like. Theresa May or Angela Merkel or Harry Cr- It's Donald Trump and some politician is like AU fanfic that's oh based on. Jeez. Um, um, I know. I, I noticed that there was a question that we had about um, epilogue since we were already kind of on that subject. Maybe we should go around and answer that question. Yeah. If you want to read it, Han. So the question in in question. And I have the. How much of each character's ending was from Brennan versus the players like Arthur's connection to Robin Hood? So we each wrote our own epilogue um, for each of our characters, and then Brennan just performed them. Um, Brennan so... wrote the whole like first part um, with like basically the status of the rest of the world and everything, but once it started branching into characters directly um that's where we took up our own we basically decided what we wanted to happen and um for the npcs who were not mentioned in that first general part um brendan gave us uh leeway to do what we wanted with them so like me taking uh not just Epo, enrique uh for sinead's uh epilogue i was given free reign with and so, uh, so I basically, I was like, all right, guys, based on your actions here, here are the, you know, here's what the world looks like, because part of Q's arc was being a noble who then developed, you know, a good heart for better social strata and then going to Montaigne and fixing it up and stuff. That really, you know, that, that resolved in a lot of systemic change throughout the... Uh, um, with Giuseppo, the, when you guys were trying to make him a better leader, what you guys focused a lot on was his diplomatic skills, uh, especially Q, which is really funny because it was like Q teaching Giuseppo to be a diplomat. I mean, it's like, it'd be like Gandalf telling like the hobbits how to use magic or something. Like it's just like level 20, level zero. Um, but I settled because for you- just trying to get him to not be a dipshit. <laughs> um, and I think um, that also But you taught him to be a good leader. Well. So since you guys focused on him being really uh, a good leader and a good diplomat, uh, but less about being like a good, you know, good soldier or sailor or, you know, there's other things you could have focused on. Uh, that was appropriate to be like, he gets elected because you guys completed the fetch quest of all three items um, and he becomes a great diplomat. And I just used you guys' actions basically to create what the world would have looked like because of what you did. And then I was like, all right, fit yourselves into it. Great job on writing your epilogues, everyone. I really enjoyed uh, reading them. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good way to, um, 
I've only jammed once, and the the ending of my one campaign was severely rushed. But um, I I think that's a good way as a as a GM to end a campaign is to you know kind of like the choose your own adventure sort of game. You do, mm-hmm. Which ending do you get? Do you get the the good ending, the bad ending, or the neutral ending, just based on what you chose for your characters to do. I think that's the right way to go about it. Yeah, I think in general it's a good way to end a campaign. I really enjoyed writing writing the epilogue for Arthur, um, which is like I and actually, you really like, put your whole heart and ass into it. I really <laughs> did. I really did. Um, I just wanted to write something cool for him. That was just like no, it was cool. Yeah, like I had it was cool. Kind of the reason. Shanae's was kind of the shortest is because I like I thought a long time about what I wanted Shanae's epilogue to be and I couldn't I couldn't really decide because like I think as time went on I think my goals for for Shanae changed I don't know if she like maybe like if something happened towards the end of the campaign maybe like she saw something so traumatic that she never wanted to be on the seas again or, because um, she's fucking 16, 15, 16, 17 for this whole thing. So she's <laughs> She's young. one of those ages. <laughs> um, she, I don't, I don't think she turned well, she 17. She started out as one. <laughs> she started 15, turned 16, and then Regina mentioned her being 17 or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, it could have been a, because she still had a whole life ahead of her. So, like, how do you write, how do you condense a whole life into a, into a few paragraphs, you know? Um, and I just didn't really know where I wanted to end her, her to end up because who knows what happens after that. Um, but yeah, it, it makes sense that the, by far the youngest had the most open ended, you know, I wouldn't even say it was short. It was just really open ended. Yeah. I, um, for just kind of for my, what I ended up doing is I, (laughs) throughout the campaign, I was like, I didn't want it to focus on Enrique, her whole ending because like. That was a whole thing of its own that kind of wrapped up in the last episode that had a nice little bow on it. Um, but I, I ended up just uh, kind of putting her to be like that kind of saving grace um, for other people that she once needed in her life and got through her old captain mentor. And I think that was a, the best place to put her rather than her like retiring or doing something weird i don't know or just being being the same i guess i don't know um like so that was just flower was, shop yeah, yeah just going back to Innismore. and i and i wanted to also Booty close out irish the, teen just being like here's your here's your roses get the fuck out of here um I, I also knew i needed to close up the uh the little story with her family which i think right. I, I that was probably my favorite paragraph was her going oh, back it was to, great to to visit them and uh realizing that they didn't need her and she didn't need them so yeah uh q how do you feel about uh, your epilogue yeah i feel like you know q's journey the entire time has always been very people focused and definitely at the start of the campaign i was like q just wants to get this shit and get out and then toward the middle of the campaign q was like i don't think we're gonna get out of this like i think this is going to end badly um toward the middle toward the end um and then as it closed i was just thinking like what does someone who had their entire life essentially planned in this very specific structure do and q's whole thing was that he just kind of fell in love in the most superficial way with everyone um all the time and i i wanted their ending to not 
to just be about them connecting and helping people around them and like actually committing to doing something with their life instead of just, you know, just kind of flying around by the seat of their pants and their parents' money. Um, and I think that that was really touching for me, you know, especially if you, you know, the Montaigne arc and et cetera, the Hughes heart for people, you know, and I think that's, that, that really got me a lot of times because whenever, you know, cause when you play a TTRPG often, you know, not always, but often you're the good guys, you know, and it's like the point of the game to, to make good happen. But, um, it was, it was with Q, it always felt really deeply personal. Like, uh, you wanted to help this person cause you cared about this person. Which is partially uh, Mills's great roleplay acting, but also you know part yeah, of the character too. Yeah, I don't care about too. people, and that was that was nice. Um, and also, if you guys want to do a seven C fanfic, Robin Hood storms the castle with an army of rejects. Part uh, two. So this the fan time. content I would like to see. So a couple, yes. couple things. Um, I think it would be dope. I think that, like, epilogue, honestly, like, this is a little bit, like, self-aggrandizing, but I think that epilogue is actually a solid premise for another 7C campaign. Um, just, like, yeah, like, I don't know, Arthur's army trying to take over the Queen of England um, would be pretty dope. Um, I always knew that Arthur was connected to Robin Hood. It just never came up. It was, like, I... I kind of designed him to be a robin hood analog because that's kind of what the knight ace and like that whole deal like was supposed to be about like the all the grail knights are like symbolic of arthur's knights and then robin hood is a real figure in the actual lore his name is robin goodfellow but they don't write that much about him and so i was just kind of like yeah like arthur's dad was that was that dude's protege and i made that up like pretty early on in the season and then, like, it just never really came up because we never spent that much time in Avalon. Um, and then we, we, when we did go to Avalon, the queen fucking sucked. She was a shady bitch. Um, <laughs> and there was just some pretty, like, heavy, uh, like, anti-English vibes. And so I was like, all right, we'll just roll with that and um, have Arthur, like, be kind of lost because, like, the other thing is because Arthur was supposed to be this honorable knight, and he ended up on a ship with a bunch of fucking pirates and like morally questionable people. Um, it would have like kind of sucked to just like not acknowledge him being like a knight and having a code of honor. But at the same time to like play really strict to that would have been really close to like how playing like an old paladin and earlier forms of D&D were where it's like, I'm a true pacifist. I only fight things that are evil and there is no gray in, in life and that just would have been dumb. So the queen being kind of corrupt and like not good at governing the people and Arthur swearing an oath of loyalty to like a magical object as opposed to like an actual person kind of gave me the leeway to be a little bit more fast and loose with Arthur's whole deal. And so the epilogue, um, it just made sense that he would like make a commune in the woods with the Fae, and then try to, like, make something better. Because um, that's kind of consistent with this whole story, is just, like, trying to make shit work. Mm-hmm. Um, and not yeah. die. <clears throat> so It's kind yeah. of, it's just consistent with 7C as a whole, you know? I, I Again, I do apologize to any, like, really big 7C fans. I, I butchered or skipped over a handful of the rules. Um, but, you know, the gist of it I really like is telling a good story, 
and trying to get through the day to day because you are so weak. There's no HP yeah. increase. Your death spiral is 20 minor wounds or 20 hits throughout your entire game. And a gun does a major wound plus all the minor, all the raises you got on the aim roll. So you can have health someone like a main character or a big bad with one, with one action. Um, and then do it again if you <laughs> after rolling five more races. So uh, the fragility of people really makes you have to do the best you can with what you have. Um, and I and that's kind of what really makes the game a lot of fun. I think what, what, what I had a lot of fun with it is seeing you guys play to your strengths and have to rely on each other because Q was going to fight or necessarily sail. Arthur was probably well, Sinead was not going to like talk them out of something. In fact, Sinead's probably the reason they got into the thing they're supposed to get talked out of. And uh, Arthur, you know, he he's would drop people with a bow from like fifty yards, like probably not even thinking about. Like he's like thinking about like yeah. <laughs> something in his head, and he's just dropping people, and that was his strength. But you know, he wasn't about to talk people out of things like Q, and he didn't know how to sail very well because he's like from the forest of uh, England until halfway through the campaign where he learned from Sinead. Um, and that's, and that's really, that's what makes the game fun is that you are pretty good at like one third of the things and you just can't do the other things, which can make it feel a bit repetitive, but also feels a little bit more realistic and it allows more elements of humor or ridiculousness to not feel, make the campaign feel like it's, you know, stupid or silly because although yes, there's a lot of moments of like, like everything to do with Doradin, for example, there's all the moments of just goofiness. Um, it was all very grounded in the fact that they all were human with the same HP, regardless of skill. And you get shot with a gun, you're probably just, you know, SOL. Yeah, like yeah. I really thought that maybe we'd have to fight Derwithin at one point. And I have no doubt in my mind that if we shot Derwithin, he would probably die. But <laughs> He would explode and all of us would die. Like magic would just... Yeah, fucking yeah. and confetti. <laughs> it would have yeah. been. It would have been. Yeah, <laughs> he would have. all. He would have like cast level nine prestidigitation, and all of you guys would have been smoted. Um, but yes, if you shot him, he would have died. He just would have taken y'all with him. To to speak to like some of the mechanic stuff that we kind of uh, skipped over or did wrong did wrong quote unquote. Uh, not all of it's good for just talking. Not like we're a, we're audio medium, so. Like some of the more tedious stuff, it's better to to skip over in the long run anyway, because you know no one wants to hear us talk about rules and just only stuff that we can see on a on a character sheet for too long. Um, so that's what we often that's what will often happen in a in a podcast type of game is that rules are skipped over and uh, changed and edited just to make it more entertaining for. For the people and better for just kind of storytelling. And that was kind of like our overall goal is to tell a story rather than like play a game is right under tell a story. But, uh, <laughs> you know, telling a story is number one because like what's the point of listening to a podcast if there's not if the, the story is not good, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. like, yeah, that like, uh, you know, mechanics don't draw people in the characters and the, and the plot. Right. Does, and there's, so. there's a few mechanics I saw and intentionally disregarded because I read them so many times and still didn't get them. Um, like like the healing things, like <laughs> minor wounds, but not dramatic. Like, what's the point? There's some called Brute Squads. I'm still not sure what that is, but it kept getting referred to. I, If anyone knows oh, yeah. what that is, <laughs> explain it. I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I never could fully grasp dueling. Dueling 
sucked. <laughs> like, I could not. Like, I won, <laughs> like, two rules. or three of the duels that I was in. But I I was just kind of guessing the whole Dueling way. is if you took the fighters' battle maneuvers from D&D and made it its own, like, game between yeah. two people. And it's yeah. really confusing. Yeah, it was, like, I... Because I think we were still recording when I was, like, trying to read what it actually said. And I couldn't comprehend what it was, like, what the little passage, like... If you do this, then you save two raises, but then you inflict them later. And then if you do this thing, oh, you don't want to do this thing unless you're 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 down <laughs> yeah. HP or whatever. Yeah. And so like I was like I totally guessed my way through all of that, and it just happened to work out. So. <laughs> what if we gave one v one sword fights their own unique action economy? That makes no. It's sense. like the fishing mini game. Yeah. Yeah. A very it's- confusing one. Yeah, um, but you beat the devil in single combat. <laughs> I did. So. I did. I did my way through. Probably yeah. the craziest feat in all of the campaign. Yeah, and I literally yeah. outdoing Sinead, the devil. Like, Sinead like killed all of like Sinead killed Regina twice. She beat the devil <laughs> in in like dual practice. Like she she is like secretly god. I think <laughs> it is pretty funny. Like uh, the canonical Sinead devil. Can't be god, you didn't fuck her. <laughs> Golly. God, I hope not. Um, Definitely yeah, has the not. plucky, like, 17 All too well just came out. It's too close. <laughs> protagonist. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to our, our question section, uh, I want to talk about the poem that was at the end of the epilogue. So uh, that was written by dear Mr. Robert Steer. Um, a while ago, like a yeah. while ago, like towards the, the, we released it as, um, extra content, um, exclusive content back. Let, let me see. When did we release that? Um, Legend of the High Seas, November 17th. So almost a year ago, we released yeah. that as, um, as extra content. And I, as I was editing the last episode, I remembered it and I was like, Hey, what if we put this in? It was a very last minute idea and we performed it really well. And I think it really topped everything off. It like, it was like, not to, to pat myself on the back too much, but man, that was a good idea. That was a great idea. The only thing, the only thing I would have changed about it. And I, um, uh, not the poem, but the way that we did it, um, and I didn't think about this until after the, the episode was released. The only thing I would have changed if we did it differently is um, if we were to do the same thing, but put it at like the mid-season finale with that uh, poem and then have Rob rewrite it to fit oh. our characters now and then yeah. put it oh, at the end of that cool. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have been really cool, but it's still cool the way it is. <laughs> it's still yeah. awesome. We, we did our performances separately. And um, I was worried that um, to have Brennan do the first part of it, I kind of wanted uh, it to be just us three um, because Brennan was talking the whole time before. <laughs> um, but Brennan, you did a really good job performing it. Thank you. Really you. Put yeah. your, your whole, like, you really did a really good job. So I, I was very, very happy with the way also, it turned out. Also, when I was reading the poem um, again, I said, do I have to point this out because I fucking wrote it and it wouldn't be something that I've written if there wasn't a typo. There's a line that talks about, um, I know exactly the, what you're talking the, about. The ship. Um, uh-huh. 
and the the as it's written it says like something something from a cure rotted land it's supposed to be curse rotted it was a typo and it made it in there because i recorded it and realized oh i left that typo in there on the version i sent y'all so it should be that when you hear brennan say cure it's supposed to be cursed. I like the way it sounds. I think it that's sounds that, like, good. Cure, like, cure yeah, rotted. Yeah, the, the juxtaposition of the two words is cool. Cure yeah. rotted. Um, yeah, I like it. Um, it's, yeah, it, I like it. I, I it was evocative. I know, like nobody would have ever noticed it if I didn't just point it out. But it's supposed to be curse rotted, which is the way it's written. But I, I don't begrudge it, and we're not going to change it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's no. authenticity, baby. So we're just going to leave it. Um, as is um, yeah and i it took me a while to figure out what i wanted to put for for like sound under it because mm-hmm. i had been like repeating the past few songs that i had been using for like many minutes before so i was like what if we just do what if we just do waves instead as if it is if it's people talking yes. on a on a pirate so ship actually telling the story on a pirate ship out on the open seas um so again just Little, yeah. little sound design, little pat on the back for the good sound design there. Um, well done. But yeah, um, I, I'm very proud of the way it, it all turned out. Also, that song, that that song that I, I found <laughs> by um, by Will months ago, um, that song that plays um, when Sinead kills Regina, um, it's a song called Be Whole Again. And I found that song forever ago, and I was like, oh my god, this is going on the season two finale, I love the song. It's like, it's called Be Whole Again, which is like, just thematically correct for us, yeah. because like, because yeah. we were literally rotting away, and then we got cured, so now we are whole again. And just the, 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 it was just such a pretty song, and like, so like, oh my god, like, it's finally over. It's like our our trials and tribulations have ended. It just it I've been waiting to use that song for so long, and I finally got to use it, and it was such yeah. a perfect fit. So this is half of this like discussion episode is just gonna be me throwing all my love to Will because he's so talented, and we are so lucky that he reached out to us. However yeah. long ago, and um, he's so so generous to allow us to use his music. Yeah. Um, over and over and over again with, I mean, very little, he doesn't have to allow us to do that. Um, yeah, he, cool. like when he reached out to me like a year ago or probably more, probably almost two years ago now, um, he was like, oh, you can use all of my music as long as you credit my Patreon once in like the description. And I was like, are you fucking serious, dude? Like <laughs> your music is so good. So I've been shouting him out every episode since we've been using it. And uh, I will continue to do so. Um, and I've also been a Patreon of his for, for a long time because, of course, I should. And everyone else who's listening should be a Patreon of his. Go give him money because he deserves it. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, but, yeah, does anyone else have anything to say or want, want to say before we move on to questions? You know, the one thing I think I, I, w- I may change, I would have changed about the ending. I definitely should have given the two Arvals distinctive names <laughs> towards the end of it. Because when I was telling the story, I'm like, this totally makes sense if you these were different, like, actresses playing different people. Wait, so their names aren't Bitch Arbal and Real Arbal? <laughs> <laughs> like, or that was a funny way named- to keep it. Like, all's well that ends well, because the way that Mills came up with keeping track of them was hilarious and worked <laughs> just fine. 
Um, but towards the end of it, I was like, oh, this is a vi- this is an audio thing, so they look the same <laughs> for all intents and purposes. Um, but shout out to Mills for for picking up where I dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> I cite twenty twenty, but it's you can the, see in the it's future. It's a collaborative storytelling <laughs> environment we got going on. Yeah, here. we all do our part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so we have some questions that we have uh, gathered from our Discord server and our Instagram page um, that we are going to answer. And I think some of these have already been answered, um, but we'll go through them one by one because a lot of these are really good questions um, from fans of the show. Um, so first question, I'm curious what everyone's favorite moment of uh, each of their character arcs and what's the favorite NPC moment for the wonderful DM specifically? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I can go first. I don't know if I Roll have like a single it. favorite moment, but like um I love that moment when I feel really bad that I don't remember his name, but it cues solo quest. <laughs> oh, with the... when they realize like they're that the guy was gonna die. I just thought that was really poignant uh kind of sacrifice. I also still can't get over the very beginning of the campaign. We were in that like fucking hotel or something and we were talking about chess and then like <laughs> immediately next is like boom, metaphor. Literally after uh, like two. So uncounted. Crazy was, foreshadowing for something that we awesome. did not even know. Yeah. So good. So um, good. And I also liked, um, I forget which time, it, what exactly it happened, but when Q was doing their best to like comfort Sinead because that was a time where I was like Q views Sinead as a younger sister and that was like the moment where that kind of feeling really solidified um so those were those were my favorite parts oh and then every time I fucked someone and annoyed Brennan (laughs) (laughs) so the whole campaign (laughs) (laughs) um I can go next um I there is a few because Sinead had some really good one-liners that I that came off the top of my head um, in some moments. Um, like, for example, I think when we were about to fight the whale, when Sinead was giving a speech and she said, I've seen death before and it's nothing to be afraid of. I was like, where the fuck did that come from? That came out of my head and I was like, okay. Um, but awesome. yeah, yeah, so that and um, I mean, dueling death and winning is pretty pretty great. And just yeah. kind of being nonchalant Nuts. about it. Nuts. Yeah, like, like, like just devil. kill another career, it's a mild day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, yeah, there's, there's a lot. Oh. Like, there's some really just awesome moments that... There was also one that um, we never really followed up on, but, um, I mean, I didn't really need following up on, but, like, the one, the one time Sinead and Giuseppo had, like, a one-on-one was towards the very beginning of the campaign when Sinead kind of had to, like, talk him down out of being a whiny bitch and saying, like, we're all in this together now. Everlasting struggle. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) it was... uh, That was, I think, a forgotten moment because uh, Sinead and Giuseppe did not ever really do anything together. Um, So, yeah, that's just one I want people to remember. But... Um, so two runner-ups for me and then the, the actual answer. So runner-up number one um, is uh, it was a moment that Arthur and Sinead had after Arthur or after Sinead killed her first person like in cold blood like after the Zarina Nina arc and 
you asked me in character why Arthur was proud of you for killing somebody, and I was legitimately so stunned. Like, I did not think that that, like, those words would have been, like, thrown back at my character like that so hard. And I had to, like, like, in character, like, figure out, like, why he actually felt that way, which was a really cool moment of, like, genuine emoting, like, in character. Um, my mind. My mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was It really was fun. good. Um, second runner-up moment is when Giuseppo died and Arthur got struck by lightning for being mad at, like, Lady Arbald for not being able to do anything. Um, <laughs> That's pretty and, awesome. Uh, and so, like, Brennan was like, all right, well, she strikes you with lightning and then I, like, cast it off or whatever. And then Arthur shouts up at the sky about something like, you know, if you strike me down, you'll only hasten my arrival to you. Or something <laughs> like that. And that was just, like, a dope moment. Actual favorite moment is when Arthur saw in between the void, saved Q's life, went insane, flipped the coin. All of that sequence, that was so, so much, yeah, that was so wild. much fun for me to do. Um, Jam packed. I got to like have really cool moments with uh, Mills for saving Q, and that being kind of like sweet, because um, like Arthur and Q really hadn't had many like connecting moments, yeah, um, throughout the campaign. Um, and then also just flipping the coin very, I mean, like after Noi died, um, felt very compelled to just flip that thing once felt like a good time to do it. Uh, yeah. And then being, being kind of insane was a little bit of fun. So it was very different. Yeah. I wanted to bring up the Arthur Sinead, uh, dynamic, but that is, uh, an answer that I'm going to say for another question, but definitely, yeah. definitely a, a great part of the, the show for sure. But Brendan, what's your answer? So, you know, like you guys, we've got a lot of like favorite ones. We've got some runners up, um, but you know, I think without going too far into it, um, Giuseppe's moments whenever you guys would try and get him to grow up and you know be be a better leader, all of those were great. You know, um, the next runner up I think would have to be whenever he was split in half. Uh, the reason being, you know, one like it introduced a great arc, like. I thought it was really good collective storytelling on you three playing your characters when the three crows met the devil and Q banged him, Sinead dueled him, and then Arthur offered up a sacrifice to be able to <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> deal to make everybody true. better. And all in the result, they get <laughs> they get a dual personality uh uh, dead weight, <laughs> who's both a courageous leader but also whiny bitch, and it was just a really great character moment. Like it, when the three crows met met the devil, what did they do? And you know, it's each of your responses were great. And whenever he was split in half, you could see the two sides of him, and then Sinead pushing him back together again. Um, it was also really did fun. I, do that? To have, I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> it was also really fun to be uh, like Virgiseppo being like oh my goodness you know like clearly i'm chad seppo <laughs> or just sep chad <laughs> um and that is and that's me it was really fun my absolute favorite um would have to be whenever he gave that speech uh, at the end uh with arthur and the reason being of course it was his character arc to finally be somebody people wanted to lead instead of the character who was just a perpetual walking eye roll <laughs> and the the thing about him was goes back to the chess metaphor of like the first you know like the episode four or three whatever it was way back when, um, and which was brought up again whenever 
uh, Q was talking with Giuseppo and said, you tired, said you're tired of being a pawn. The episode was called The Pawn, too. Um, and a pawn being relatively, you know, it's not the most powerful piece. In fact, it's definitively the least powerful piece. And he ha- was the least powerful piece of the party the entire time. And then at the end, basically the, the epilogue, he becomes the, the doge of uh, uh, Vodachi. And whenever he earned that, I like to, I always think of him making that final step onto the, the eighth square, the chessboard and becoming a queen. I like to think that's when, um, that's what happened is when he gave that speech to the, to the men. And I thought it was really thematically consistent. And I had a lot of fun, playing Giuseppo as a good leader for once after like 55 54 episodes of playing Giuseppo as an idiot it felt really fun all right well good answers all around um next question I'm curious how much prep work is done before the sessions and uh do you guys do a session zero before the start of every new campaign um session zero question Yes, we kind of did one with season one, but that was when all of us met for the first time. So that kind of counts, kind of doesn't count. Um, We just kind of went over what our characters were going to look like, Um, but we didn't do any uh, like an actual gameplay for D&D or anything. And we did do... truly memed so hard when we were talking about our characters. (laughs) I I think if I remember correctly, we named all of our characters based on rearranging the Game of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah, I don't even like Game of Thrones. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Kit Harrington. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, we did that for season one. And then for season two, we did a live testing of session. We did a live testing of season uh, or of seventh C. Yes. Right? In our Discord channel. We did not do that for season three. We are not going to do it for season three. Um, But that was fun. That was just kind of us testing out the mechanics of of 7th C because we had never played it before. Um, But yeah, we did that live in our Discord channel. Um, And for season three, yes, we did do a a session zero. It was just kind of like a prologue episode kind of just for us. We didn't record it. where we did do some some gameplay with our with our established characters because with with the session zero for season two, um, I think maybe I was the only one that didn't use my actual character that I was going to actually use in the campaign. Um, but it was like a it was a completely different thing. It was also wild. I think Brennan shot and killed crazy. Rob's character at the end of it. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, he did. He shot, he shot me right in the face. It was honestly yeah. the hypest thing wild. anybody's ever done. It's it still the most useful. Q's uh, minor mark ability has been at all. I don't even, I barely remember what happened. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. Because uh, I marked the, uh, like the artifact that we were trying to steal with blood. So at the end, when they got away and they killed us, I could simply just use my port skill and just pull it back on our little escape boat. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy. Um, so prep work. Big brain. Uh, Brennan, how much prep work do you do before? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. How uh, how much prep work is done before sessions? Yeah, okay, I read the question wrong. So, how much did you prepare? How much time did you spend preparing for each thing? Uh, definitely fluctuated a lot on each episode. On episodes that were set up to be more role play heavy, like not a ton. And part of the reason is I all these countries, all these areas are based off of real life pieces, and most of them off of the more famous parts of the real life, you know, Enlightenment era. 
which makes it a bit anachronistic because it's like all of them are going through the revolutionary period. Um, it's just kind of how the rule book is written. It's like there's a section for social strata and it's always like, well, there's a bunch of nobles and there's a bunch of not nobles and there's tension between them, like every country. So yeah. it didn't take too much prep work to be able to do that somewhat effectively outside of getting the accents. But also I just I'm just not the best at that. So although he didn't prove a bit um, because if someone was like, hey, what's going on in the country? I wouldn't have to like really spend too much time prepping for the world or what was going on or the dialogue because if they went up to a you know a noble so what's going on in the country and they were in montaigne i just i know from real life the french revolution more or less and i can be like oh the rabble are being annoying and they want to kill us or something so that was that the episodes that would have a lot of not uh kind of like action rounds but not combat rounds took a little bit um, the most prep I ever did for an action round was probably when they were have to gonna have to break Sinead out of prison, but that ended up being ultimately useless. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't end up. Sinead did not go to prison. Um, so yeah, I remember you being very mad at us that you did not let us get Sinead going to to prison, so we had to break her out. Um, we can thank so, Q for that one. <laughs> so that was a lot of it. Um, like, not combat-heavy, action-heavy would definitely have some prep work, but not a ton. Combat, though, made up for it with how much prep work, because some of the rules are a little bit convoluted. And I'm also, you know, despite having two degrees in English, I'm not the greatest reader sometimes. And I had to read some things, like, multiple times. Um, ultimately, the, what we did... Um, some of the, to really make sure we got the rules right in combat, because, you know, it's got some really heavy circumstances, people can die. Uh, I took, like, screenshots, like, snipping tooled of the rules of 7C from the PDF and put them into an Excel sheet next to people's, like, death spirals, which uh, Mills designed, was awesome. And I, I read the rules, and I read them again later, and then I read them right leading up to recording, and then I read them, and then I, I made these spreadsheets. Um, so by the time we got to the final boss battle, we had this crazy, awesome spreadsheet um, that had rules. It had death spirals. It had NPC spirals. It had health. It had a gun reloading page for how many raises they're banking in there. Um, and so combat took a lot of prep, mostly because it was partially me scaling enemies and creating enemies and seeing what they can do, and also partially me reading the rules on how to do it. So it was twice as long as you would normally do for prep. <laughs> yeah, we should upload that spreadsheet to the Discord. <laughs> Freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, next question. How long did you have Giuseppe Jr. planned? Was that always an endgame thing? Um, so that's a funny story. Um, long story short, pretty early on... Uh, you don't say. Oh, so basically, it was pretty pretty early on. Never opened up the romance arc, and either I think it was, I think it was Han or somebody it might have been Rodney. I don't know. One of them, one of y'all's, said something that tipped the idea off about whenever you're banging that someone that might, one of them might be pregnant or, or she might be pregnant. And I was like, that's a great idea. I mean, yeah, he made a big deal that Giuseppe was like banging the shit out of Loriana. There was like a yeah, whole episode yeah. where they like walked in on them and they were yeah. like trying to lie about it, but like Giuseppe's dick was, was out. <laughs> yeah. And then she turned it evil and we were like, oh wait, as, like, does Giuseppe as, have have baby? Have baby? 
I was gonna say as soon as they started banging a lot, I was like, "Oh, what if she's got to be evil because Giuseppe's not gonna be evil, and why else would their relationship?" I like how you were like, "These two are in a relationship. What do people in relationships do? fuck constantly, twenty four seven? Let's go. That's how you'll know they're in love." So anyway, that's that was that's the setup for the rest of the story. Um. So one day I uh, I had uh, I was a bit hazy from some medication I took, and by a bit hazy I was running at like twenty five percent RAM upstairs. Like we're talking, the brain was like it was molasses in January. It was it was slow, and we tried to record. I think we deleted the copies of that because I was so yeah, out of us, it. I did not hit record first of it all. Was I think we did. Really? I think we did. So. I, I don't want to out you, Brennan, but that did happen more than once, where you did show up to recording sessions like that. I think only twice, but it yeah. did happen more than once. Um, I think we did hit record the first time, um, but then stopped, like, after yeah. two minutes. Also, I, to, to be <laughs> clear, no prescribed, wait, are you, prescribed medication, like, not... Like, yes, yeah, also prescribed yeah, medication. Not, not, not recreationally, but yeah. Did that really happen more than once? Like, I'm not no, kidding. I, I do not remember so. more than yeah, once. When, just it, happened, it happened that first time, and then um, when I was at Amelia's, uh, like, two months ago. Oh! Yeah. Ugh. That that did happen. <laughs> no, we don't. I mean, it's funny. So Let's during talk one about of these... everyone's medical history in depth on record. <laughs> yeah. Mills was like basically just looked at the camera and was like, "Hey, is Loriana going to be pregnant with Witch Spawn, which is going to be a, a, a their puppet ruler whenever the Fate Witches get what they want and they need the <laughs> Merchant Prince to rule over Vodachi, who's not Giuseppe now that Marcello and Vivaldi are both dead." And I'm like, that is exactly, I was like, that is exactly their plan. Which, I don't know why that was my reaction, but I was loopy. Was, That's exactly their plan. Like, once the Fate Witches take over, they still need the established order to function in their favor. So they need a non-Giuseppo royal. And, um, anyway, revealing, like, one of the top two biggest reveals in the campaign. I want it on record that after... Uh, Brennan confirmed the thing, I guess, because we were just taking dumb pot shots. I did everything I could to get you to shut the fuck up so you wouldn't <laughs> spoil anything and be mad about it later. Yeah. I also don't have memory of that, but I'm glad you <laughs> told me. But anyway, so I wasn't... Yeah. I didn't have the best memory of the occasion, so I remember talking about these sorts of things. I do not necessarily remember the depth I went into, and so when I was like, and the big reveal, you know what I mean? Apparently it was known the whole time. So I, I it was pretty early on. Like it was I like didn't know the about episode. It. I, I like totally forgot anything that you may have spoiled to me. It <laughs> no, was it was planned. I don't know which episode it was, but the, the episode yeah, after to answer the question, like in the simple long story short way, the it was the episode <laughs> after I had them hooking up. So whenever that would have been like episode thirteen or something like that, um, fourteen. But the the next episode, I, like during that week, basically after we recorded that one, I was like, wait a minute, they're banging. There's an idea. Um, but yeah, everyone else also knew about it except for Rob, <laughs> which explains all it. Anyway, and then to wrap up that part of the story afterwards, <laughs> when Rob was like, holy moly. <laughs> They got a hyperbolic shot time chamber and Giuseppe Jr. is now... Which, granted, that part was 
something I didn't spill, thank goodness. But uh, that was left field. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. Uh-huh. And was we like, did not hey, that. Brennan, we we got to chat for a minute because Rob's a far, far ahead of us in time, so we went to like bed or something. And I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to get tired. I'm pretty tired. I'm going to go to bed. And Han's like, all right, Brendan, we got to tell you something. And told me off recording <laughs> after that episode, hey, we knew for like half a year. <sighs> Are you in the right headspace to receive some information that might hurt you? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, that that was the whole, whole thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Giuseppe Jr. Um, was truly also, yeah, Giuseppe spoiled, Jr. was kind of planned. Yeah. yeah, like we we didn't we thought he would be just a, a bab in the womb, but yeah, um, I thought he'd be a baby that's super easy to kill, and it turned out he was a full grown man. He was only kind of easy to kill, and that's why we were in a just such a silly, goofy mood when we started going for, <laughs> for <Adam's> stomach, <laughs> <laughs> and when we first burst into the room, we just stab her yep. in the stomach. You know, we like to call that Plan C. <laughs> Me and Amelia uh, were texting the whole time during all this. I'm not gonna say the jokes on here, but they were funny. So oh many God. things are clicking into place. Like when Brennan and I were role playing, and you guys were just like laughing your asses off, and you wouldn't tell us. And I was like, "What are they fucking laughing at? Like nothing." We know, we record like, everything. We uh, we do our sessions on video now. I don't think we started that way, but we we do all of our videos on sessions. So me and Amelia would be muted, just fucking dying on camera, and they would be like, "What the fuck?" Is and going on. it was awful because I'd be like, all right, Arthur, you're in the thick of things. This crew of people have followed you. They've known you only for like a week, but they followed you to their deaths. They're dying around you. No one's focusing on you because they're trying to take out the cannon father. Enrique's right. about to d- d- die. And I'd be like looking at the cameras at the stop. And Arthur's it's like, so I'm going to lead the man into battle. <laughs> and we're like trying to have this it, like, like really, serious like, moment. It like really uh. fucks with your confidence when you're like, Enrique. I love you, my son. And then you just see these two fucking, like, having a fucking ball. Like, half of my, like, giant 32-inch screen. I just see you two laughing Look, your asses off. That That is what happens when you play D&D that's over just, video. That's a fact then of life. Breaks. That's true, that's true. I didn't even start posting dumb shit in the mute chat until, like, oh, like the last half of the season. Yeah, no, oh no. my god. I Whoever's love, GMing, here's, here's a rule. Whoever's GMing, at any point in time, you have to mute the live channel in our Discord. Otherwise, <laughs> you will be distracted and laugh yeah. in the middle of your, of your dramatic speech. So mute it. Brendan, you're allowed to unmute it now, but Rob, now you have to mute it. Thank goodness. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, you can look um, at it all after the episode's over. It, but, it was it was kind of funny during filming episode one where, like, I felt like I was talking for, like, a half an hour. And, like, you know, when you're DMing, like, things, it's just a blur. And then I did, like, look slightly to my left and I looked at the live channel and it was, like, 17 messages. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How Listen, was, some of us have ADHD. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I hope this is going well. When I click on the live, it's not going to be like a bunch of shit that's going to freak me out. And I click, I was like, okay, okay. Never. We would never yeah. freak you out. In, not not in front of you, at least. I'm currently freaked out. What do you mean? Well, I would I would add to, I wouldn't freak you out in the live chat. I would freak out right like in the video, one-on-one, yeah. in your face. Yeah. yeah. That's how I prefer it. Yeah. Okay, so moving on tonight, we still have a few questions to go. Um, 
So this is kind of, this kind of ties into this whole past question. Uh, Brennan, how far in advance uh, was the story for 7C campaign planned, or did you always have a general idea from the start? Um, from the start, I was like, okay, <laughs> stop laughing. Speaking of which, so from the start, um, I was like, okay, so the only accent I can do somewhat plausibly is an Italian one. So there we go. I'll just have an Italian NPC be the linchpin of the plot. How and why we'll decide later. So I was like, okay, well then I just wrote up his backstory and I was like, I'll, I don't really want to write too much later on because as we get the feel of the campaign and run of it, so it, it might change. So basically I planned it probably only like five episodes ahead up until the halfway point of the campaign. So about five episodes before we met the witches, I was like, I was deciding to meet the witches. I was like, okay, what's a really good power struggle, you know, for sure to make this the whole thing. And that's when I decided that this little witch thing going on was going to be the whole plot. One, because girl bosses were freaking awesome. I had so much fun playing a cabal of all powerful fate witches. That was, that was fun. Still so wild Um, that they can't read. So offensive. <laughs> yeah, really John weird. Wick. Come on, buddy. Yeah, um, Brennan, why, yeah, do you, oh, why do you hate women, Brennan? <laughs> the cor- so, canonically, in case anyone didn't know, the the merchants can read, but they don't really. And then the court- the prostitutes are taught to read, and they're the ones who do all the reading. And then the witches are just never taught to read, despite the fact that they're witches. Therefore, they know spells. So, I mean, anyway... <laughs> I can speak so the most well-read people Druids. are the prostitutes in Vodachi, and also the witches who know spells can't read at all. So, anyway, moving along. Um, and then when I got to that point, I was Truly like, okay, I want to make this culture. the halfway point. I mean, they they got to make this this point. And so when they met the witches um, at that point, they kind of planned the rest of it out. So I made like a beat sheet. I have it on Microsoft Word somewhere of like. Okay, at this point, they have to do this. At this point, they have to do this. So try and keep it on pace. So it was about, you know, five episodes ahead until halfway. And once it got halfway, I planned the rest of it. I do want to say, as much as we have been clowning the the idea of them being able to spell cast and not learn to read, we shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't underestimate the power of oral tradition. Yes. That's true. Sure. That is true. This, I'm sure yeah, that was part true. of the but idea. But in our canon, John they can Wick. read. <laughs> they can read but it that was in a, <laughs> a society where there are signs and papers and like letters and like a huge espionage campaign going on to insist that the leaders of said espionage campaign were illiterate is just like <laughs> like what are we fucking doing here like really um i don't know Okay, next question to kind of blow through these last few. Um, bu- 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 for Brennan again, do you intentionally read slash watch slash play things in order to stir up ideas for your sessions? As a GM, I tend to try to play or watch things that have a similar vibe to what I'm going for when I plan, and I wonder if you are the same. Um, so, yes, a little bit. Um, I tried to avoid anything piratey too much because I didn't want to, to copy from it. I mean, some of the stuff, a lot of pirate lore is not uniform, pretty consistent among a lot of the genres, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean movies were a hodgepodge of a lot of things, pirate things that existed well before and have existed well after in other mediums on both sides. 
Um, so some things are going to repeat, but I avoided those. Some things I did watch, though, um, I wanted to watch things of like a similar vibe. So I watched um, uh, Cowboy Bebop and Firefly <laughs> because, you know, the ragtag group. Um, and I watched A Knight's Tale a few times. One, because it's one of my favorite movies, and also because Arthur was a knight. Um, I definitely, definitely tried to watch like some movies that would help me develop European accents, um, like Braveheart, and it just didn't happen, so I gave up on that one. Um, and that, and, th- and that's that's mostly it. I was like, I, I feel like I, I've consumed enough pirate genre. Like I remember, I I want to, I wrote a pirate story in like high school. It was my first long form writing, and it was super fun. Um, so I consumed enough pirate stuff to be able to keep that, but I needed like. I, I consumed things that were ragtag group just trying to keep the ship together another day uh, type things. And I went with those two, both being sci-fi and A Night's Tale for Arthur. And then the pirates were of, well, mostly Sinead, but sometimes Q just came from past experience. So Nice and easy. Um, so a few character-specific questions. We already answered the... Uh, epilogue question. What was the final count of characters Q slept with? Okay, so we have two gods of death working on three, but they're prioritizing relationship, <laughs> and Nyx. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. Three? I think that's it. Um, there's the backstory guy. Yeah, yeah, but like, I feel like on campaign right. matters. Yeah, but, yeah. There's four if you're counting backstory. Just ballpark cues, uh, like lifetime body count up to this, up to the current. <laughs> point yeah, <laughs> that's a more interesting answer. That was four in two years. Just oh no, two yeah, four in two years. I have absolutely no idea what time length this campaign took place over. Yeah, that's... <laughs> every time you guys would mention an amount of time had passed, I was like, oh sure. Um. um I think at one point, Brennan, you said that like we were dead for two years, and that's the only dead for like, one firm... year. I fuck it, I don't know. So I also don't know how much time has passed. So you guys lived. I mean, it. I will say, like, it takes place during all sorts of different planes with manipulable time, but basically, it was one year. Um, you guys were like completely out of existence, so you guys missed a year of your lives, basically. So you would have been born, like, Arthur was 30. He was born 31 years ago, whatever. Um, and then two years of actual physical, like, playing and uh, in aging as you guys sailed around. So Amazing. it would have been three years, basically, since you guys left. Biologically, only two, because you were dead for one of them. And we were dying for those for those two years. So <laughs> there's another layer on top of that. I hope you guys' um, bodies are preserved whenever science is more of a thing in 7C. They're like, what yeah. in the world is this? The queen will have us all ordered our, our bodies to be This safe. skeleton is one year younger than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> and also dead, regenerated, and dead again. <laughs> um, okay, this is a Sinead question. Did Sinead always have the biggest hat or did any other captain have a bigger one? So I think I think the the canon that Brennan set was that the captain always had the biggest hat. Um, so there were no other captains that we really met after Silvio that we had. Um, yeah, it, like wasn't his whole thing having a big hat? Yeah. So yeah, like, we fucking iced him. Yeah, I, we fucking we fucking <laughs> got him. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think with the hat thing, I think I kind of, like, made it a given that whenever they were going on shore somewhere and needed to be stealthy, Sinead would take it off. And it only really wear it on the the ship. Um, But, yeah. Her, she had a big hat. She, you know what they say about girls with big hats. (laughs) They're canonically the strongest character. Yes, that's what they say. Um, (laughs) um, So, last question. Um... A really good question um, that I think we're all anxious to answer. Um, what is a character moment or arc that you wanted to pursue but didn't have time for? So, yeah, I'll go first. Um, for sure, for sure, Arthur and Sinead, for sure. Um, yeah. But before, before I get to that, um, there was one thing that I kind of thought about um, a little bit between Sinead and Q. Um, I kind of thought, since, like... Since Q has this kind of personality of being kind of not completely polyamorous, but just kind of feeling around and being flirty with other people, I kind of realized, like... I call it sluttiness. Sinead would definitely... Yeah, the sluttiness of it. Sinead would definitely have a problem with that, I think, subconsciously. Because we found out with her all of her background stuff, um, Sinead was a product of, of cheating, of being unfaithful. And that ruined her childhood. So... Something that I was kind of thinking about towards the end of the campaign, I was like, oh man, like, this is probably something that should have come up as conflict, but I haven't even really thought about it until now. Um, And I think that might have been why, like, uh, towards the end, Sinead really hated the the relationship between Q and Arbol, because it was obviously not something that was 100% working, and it was obviously toxic. But that was definitely something I was like, man, I kind of wish I would have thought of that earlier so I could explore it. Um, because, like, being unfaithful was, like, pretty much, like, part of the biggest thing of Sinead's backstory is that, like, her mother cheated on her father with an Avalonian man, and therefore Fucking doesn't English. look like any of her siblings and was cast out by her family. So I think that was just kind of on me for not kind of recognizing that sooner. But I think that could have been a really good point of contention between the two of them. That never came up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my one answer. And my other answer is um, the Sinead and Arthur relationship was so good. And we just really didn't, like, get a chance to really get a good cap on it. Like, even during, I think, the, the, the first half of the campaign, one of the epilogues I thought of for Sinead, if both her and Arthur were to survive, was to have, like, Arthur adopt Sinead and, like, them live together. Um, yeah. Which would have been really awesome. But I think things changed from there. But yeah, they really, like, there was really some stuff that we really just didn't have time for. Like, I think well, there, so there was, was a lot of things was, we could have grown into with them. It was interesting because, like, Arthur, like, did, like, very early on make a concerted effort to, like, try to. Like, it felt in the same way we were like, Bills was like, oh, yeah, like, older sister relationship, that makes sense. Like, Arthur was like, all right, like, I had, there's this teenager that has now been resurrected. Like, obviously, I should be, like, a fatherish figure. But you were, like, were so, like, hard against that, like, in character that I was like, oh, fucking K. <laughs> like, I guess there's other things to worry about, too. And so, like, it came up, like, every once in a while. But Arthur's approach generally got more relaxed about it. And it was just kind of like he just kind of uh, took the approach of like, you know, if she wants to to open up and like have a, a good friendship, you know, it's like 
she'll do that on her own time and there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on so yeah because there, there was like another thing that tied into her backstory which was Sinead technically had three father figures that all that she lost in some sort of way so she was going to be very standoffish to anyone who was going to yeah. try to be that again because like she had her biological father who she never met she had her adopted father who hated her and then she had the captain of the ship that we only saw very briefly who ended up being captured i don't remember if that made it into the cut but um in her backstory that whole that whole ship got like captured and she never saw them again um so that was kind of my motivation there um but yeah that was um there was motivation behind that and there was something there was a discussion that rob and i had towards the middle we just texted back and forth about when Arthur was planning on leaving, he was going to he was going to peace out from the ship. That didn't oh, actually yeah. happen. And Sinead never actually found out about it. But th- that was something that we talked about, like, oh, my God, Sinead would feel so betrayed if Arthur if she found out that Arthur was planning on leaving them because he was. And there was a concerted yeah. effort to do that. Um, and man, that would have been so good. That would have been a, a good fight to have. But she just never found out. Yeah, so I that's actually I'm glad that you bring that up because I want to explain like why that happened because that kind of came out of nowhere and I kind of hated that that happened the way that it did on my part because I thought it was just like a bad character decision to try to make Arthur leave. But that was a function of like us not having like our memories back yet, and we really only got our memories back like the last episode, really. But like, uh, yeah, it's it goes back to the tension that Arthur just has as a character of like he's supposed to be this honorable knight, but he's kind of like because of how what the story is and what the setting is, he's just on a pirate ship, and that's like hard to resolve without him having some like baseline logical reason for staying on the ship. And so like Giuseppe being his like ward in like a more legalistic sense was what like prompted him to stay, which is all like the motivation he really needed. Like, it didn't need a lot of convincing to stay, but it was just kind of like, there needs to be something that, like, keeps Arthur on the boat. Um, Because at that point, it was just very, like, we're all dead. Like, what the fuck were we supposed to do? Because we didn't really have, like, a a quest goal yet at that point. That was very early on, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was first half of the the campaign, I think. My things are mostly similar. Uh, There's, like, some more of, like, Q's backstory I wanted to get into, like, especially Adelaide, but just didn't fit with the story but um i think yeah toward the end of the campaign is really when q and arthur had like any meaningful interaction uh and i kind of wish that could have had a little bit more time to see how that like friendship would have developed you guys kind of bonded over the parenting Sinead stuff though yeah i didn't really <laughs> like that true. but like that was that was like good for like you know bonding thing but like something that was just the two of them interacting right. just not about Sinead. <laughs> yeah, I think we all picked like very strong-willed characters which um made it like I so I actually felt like uh, for a lot of the first half of the campaign oh, I don't think I've ever talked to you guys about this. So I felt very much like the vibe of the whole group was that like you guys like actually like did not like Arthur. Like I thought that you guys like legitimately like did not fuck with Arthur at all. Um, And so I was kind of like, well, damn, like, what am I going to do? Like, I still have to be here and do shit. 
And so that's why, I, like, Arthur became, like, really kind of out of pocket sometimes where he's just like, no, like, I'm just not, I'm just going to get fucking drunk. Like, I'm not going to, like. I mean, he did blow up the ship. Me. He did blow up the, the ships. <laughs> I am going to say, yeah. there was, at, toward yeah. the beginning, Q really did not like Arthur, actually. <laughs> yeah. so it was and, an like, accurate read. It, and, I mean, we kind of went off on the, the original, like, the relationship between England and Ireland. Like, you know, Ireland is and the England annoying and little. France and England and everyone. Yeah, England, yeah like, because, like, the, I, I don't remember if it was the actual seven c book or someone uh who wrote about it ex- explained it this way but like Innismore was the quote-unquote annoying little sibling of uh of avalon and so Sinead yeah. real, really took that to heart <laughs> oh that does remind me though one other thing i wish we could have got into more about the plague because yeah. like, yeah. they kept getting reference here and there but we yeah. never got to like actually that, dive into that i had two things i was gonna i was gonna bring up for th- which i had gotten into the plague was one of them um, so I wanted to have some more consequences to your guys' actions. I thought that was a fun way to do it, but, like, someone's messing with the things of fate, um, which was a really funny, like, exposition reveal whenever I was like, I'll just tell you what this is about if you get four raises, and you got three, and I gave you all the information you need to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> so I was like, well, like, that should have done it. But you guys, you know, messing with time and fate causes plague, and, um, putting another onus on you guys where you have to fix this, and it's it was just kind of fun to be like, this is about you guys escorting a, uh, a this young Italian boy to become the king again. But there was a ton of other implications that are connected to it. Um, it, was, it was often the case with, I guess, old European politics. Like, <laughs> whoever happens to be sitting on this throne can, like, start World War One, And that was kind of the idea of it. And the plague was was to add one more dimension to, to it. But... Um, yeah, it was definitely a bit... Uh, I wish I had introduced it earlier and spent more time with it. Um, it did become useful, I think, for the consequences of uh, losing Una and for um, you know some other things and the consequences of uh, your actions. But I wish it had gotten earlier. I, the idea from it actually came from uh, Labuka. Canonically, it was started because it was a prison island of pirates. And then they like faked a plague or something. And all the prison cards left because they thought they were all going to get leprosy. and um, Just then, like Avatar. Yeah, basically. No, seriously. Um, and then now Labuka's straight up a pirate stronghold. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun. What if there was an actual plague? Because um, I wanted to also visit like most of the countries. I didn't quite get Isen in, and I regret that. But I wanted to explore Isen. That's something else. But um, especially considering Rob I can do a German Eisen accent. with us. Yeah, I brought yes, yeah. to the table. You did. Um, but if I'm going to have them visit all these countries to explore Thea, it'd be also really nice if they just infected everybody with it. So it was, that was the idea. Um, the other thing, you know, I I kept trying to find the right time to bring Isabel back and just didn't. <laughs> like, it's okay. just gone. Yeah, I was mad that uh, Isabel wasn't in Rob's epilogue that he wrote for I was expecting you to put her in there hey but... man she she made her choice I mean like we had like a thing going she was just like nah I'm just like never gonna see you again I was kind of like alright like so Bye, basically bitch. what what yeah I mean like yeah so it's like alright we hooked up and then she'd be like yeah I'll go on this adventure with you and then she's like actually no gonna stay here JK lol I'll see you later um, and then Arthur was basically kind of like I don't know. I, at that point, I just kind of like resolved in character. I was like, oh yeah, like this is weird for Arthur because like this is not really what he's like about. Like this is not what he's really supposed to do. 
like he doesn't really have time to like get involved with anybody he probably wouldn't really be looking for love like he knows that like the stakes are pretty high so it's like i don't know like i'm not he's not gonna live past tomorrow so there's no there's no real reason to like go like hunt down isabel like he just wanted to chill in the forest mm-hmm um, you know, and, and uh, so I was trying to figure out a way to put it in, and one idea I had was if time and fate can, were mostly fate, not really time, but fate can be manipulated really easily by the fate witches. I thought that maybe she was manipulated by the fate witch, by the Regina, or maybe Regina was Isabella. It wasn't really her the second time. She was dressed up <laughs> as her because she's got fate magic and was trying to get, to break Arthur's morale to get him to try and leave the ship or something like that. I thought about that. Um, but I was like, well, and like, honestly, trust issues would have been never ending. Well, it just, (laughs) honestly, it's not that it didn't happen. I mean, you can, you can headcanon that one. I kind of do headcanon that one. Um, but the DM, you can just canon it. That's also true. I can just canon it. That's what happened. Everyone knows. But the, the reason I didn't trying to seduce him to stay on the island as opposed to, okay. Yeah. To break it, to break the team up. Regina had the hots for Arthur the entire well, time. Yeah. Well, to to for to impress Arthur. This entire thing. Ladies, you know when you have a um, crush on a guy and you strike him with lightning. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I thought that was an idea. The reason I didn't though is I was like, well, I've already had uh, Regina try to replace Arbal and then die and then come back. And I was like, I can't have her change into Isabel and then change back. I was like, this is going to get too confusing. It's already confusing. Um, uh. Also, like, literally in the series, Lady Arbol did strike lightning at someone she had a crush on several times. Yeah, so, uh, many, true. many times, actually. I, I put in many a, a lightning strike sound effect in, in these episodes. <laughs> Which was awesome every time. Um, but that, that's, oh. that's mostly it. For me. I also forgot for other favorite moments, since we're talking about other sailors, is just that time we gaslit Anne into thinking that Greg was always on our crew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was genuinely confused for a little bit. Yeah. I had. To, I think I had to listen we're back to the actual episode it's, to realize that you guys were goofing me. This This is the last yeah, love thing the for me. The I need to know when and why... Did we introduce Eustace? <laughs> I, don't she? I don't know. I don't remember. Was she, oh, was, she ended up working in the kitchen, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. know. Eustace was the cook. What do you mean, why did we introduce <laughs> Eustace? We needed a cook. Something we like didn't that. Int- when did we introduce I Eustace? Mean, Eustace was always there. She was always working not, behind the we're scenes just naming making people. things happen. We're just now naming her. It's not Guildfellows unless, like, we just ad hoc create characters. Like, <laughs> yeah. has no... <laughs> Remember when I invented an entire Trader's family? Joe. Yeah, Trader's Joe. I was Joe. so confused. I was like, what's I happening? Just Why I just went off. I just got I just got possessed by good deals for nuts and a family of all people named Joe. Oh, my God. Sometimes um, you just get possessed by the spirit of the DM. It chooses you. <laughs> yeah, now it's not a concern because uh, I'm doing the shit. Actually, so um, yeah, I can just make up whoever I want now with impunity. Um. All right. Well, if that's all, uh, wait. All we got. One question. Wait. Did you deliberately not answer uh, the question about songs? Oh wait. Question about songs. Name one song. Yeah, name one song. Oh, I accidentally skipped that. Your character. Um, oh, my bad. I was literally 
looking at Spotify during this to find I'm so sorry. Yeah, out. no. My it looks like this on my phone, so I easily very very easily skip oh, yeah, through stuff. Um yeah, what yeah. where the fuck is it? Name one song or artist or album that fits your characters. Uh, uh Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy by Queen. It's an amazing pick. I agree with it 100% for Q. Uh Seven Nation Army um for <laughs> Oh yeah. Um Flogging Molly for Sinead. Dude, I love Fog and Molly. Um, it's a Brave as a Noun by AJJ for Giuseppe. Dude, I'm gonna go jam to Drunken Lullabies now. Devil's Dance Floor, dude. Okay, so that I think that's a good place to end the the episode, the nearly two hour episode. Um, Thanks for listening. Yeah, so this was fun. This was a good way to do this. I think this uh, kind of discussion uh, structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Thank you all for listening up to this point, if you are listening up to this point. Uh, Thank you also again for listening to season two. Season two, I think, is a story that we're all very immensely proud of. Um, So if you broke my rule and haven't listened up to this point in the episode but didn't go back and finish season two, go finish season two so all this fucking discussion will make sense to you. but yeah, we're very proud of it, and we're very excited to move on to season three, Starfellows. That's coming out. Um, it's kind of long, and this episode's kind of long, so it'll probably be two weeks before it comes out. But we'll let you know. If you're not in our Discord, uh, join our Discord, um, and so you can be like updated or follow us on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But um, yeah, that's all we got for you guys today, unless anyone else has anything to say. Any closing remarks, anybody? Starfellows! What? That was a kiss. Oh, mwah, mwah to all of our uh, all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, whatever. Um, so yeah, that's it from us today. Um, thank you guys so much, and we will see you for season three, episode one. Woohoo! Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.